we had we had a breakthrough moment at the Mexico to Guatemala border, and uh, anybody that's done it will tell you it's pretty tough getting through the borders, especially when you're it's a steep learning curve getting through there. But um, at some point, and, and we sh- we tried to tell that story in the film. Uh, at some point, we just kind of said, you know what? We we can't try to fight this and control everything. We have to kind of just let these guys help us out and and handle. We literally handed our passports to them, and we were nervous about it all. But like the end of the day that's that's kind of what made it work is having faith in uh, our fellow humans across the globe you know coming to you from the heart of america this is the adventure motorcycle usa podcast on each episode we'll talk with industry insiders experienced adventure riders adv creators and moto fabricators on today's episode we interview best friends tiernan turner and matt kendall Two film school grads who hatched a plan to ride 10,000 miles on Suzuki DRZ supermotos from Los Angeles to Rio to attend the world famous carnival. Along the way, they filmed their adventures and misadventures, capturing it all in an award-winning documentary called Ride Report, 10,000 Miles to Rio. Now look, this film isn't new. In fact, I've watched it twice, several years apart, but it really resonates with me. Too often I find myself talking to people who love the idea of going on an international adventure but are actually afraid to travel internationally. Or they claim they don't have enough experience to competently complete whatever journey they're thinking about. That's why I love today's guests. They were neither overly accomplished riders nor were they afraid to engage with local culture. Their spirit, ambition, their their spontaneity is the core of what adventure travel is all about. Their movie uh, is available on Amazon Prime along with other streaming services. I'll put some links in the website at AdventureMotorcycleUSA.com. Sit back and enjoy this episode. I think you're going to like it. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I am your host, Matt McFadden. Uh, this episode, my good friend and co-host Terry T-Rel Taro is off on vacation in Colorado, so I'm doing this episode solo. But I am joined uh, by Tiernan Turner and Matt Kendall, uh, two guys who a few years back took an epic idea of riding adventure motorcycles from the United States to Brazil to attend Carnival and ended up making a documentary called Ride Report, 10,000 Miles to Rio. Tiernan, Matt, welcome to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Before we get into uh, your your trip and, and your epic adventure here, uh, let's talk a little bit about, about you guys. Um, you guys are, are good friends. You've known each other for uh, the better part of a, of a decade. How did you guys uh, meet? Uh, first day of film school in uh, Colorado. And Jeremy had like the tie-dye uh, t-shirt on. I was like, all right, this guy seems all right. Walking into class. And that then was we 2000 made yeah, What was that? Yeah, 2003. Yeah. 2003. Yeah. We've been and, roommates off and on since then. Where did you guys go to film school? Uh, well, originally in Colorado at uh, Colorado, um, Colorado Film School and then into uh, UNLV, Las Vegas. Okay. So that, got, that took you guys down into the Las Vegas area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we wound up here. We transferred. Gotcha. And you guys did that together? Yeah. yeah. Loaded up a U-Haul and uh, <laughs> drove out. Yeah. Awesome. So so you graduate from film school. 
and you guys are sitting in, in Vegas and you have an idea. Is that how this comes about? It was a little after that. I mean, uh, we finished film school, what, 2006, 2007, and then I'd moved to Los Angeles and uh, was hating my life, kind of. You know, I wasn't getting anywhere with my career and um, never had any money because it's L.A. And uh, I just thought, you know, is this what my life is going to be? You know, is this <laughs> is this the end of it? Sure. And uh, really just for whatever reason got a taste for an adventure and started talking to Matt about it. And I think, Matt, you had watched Long Way Round at that yeah. point. Mm -hmm. And because my original idea was, oh, we'll go down with like a Jeep or something. And then you were like, well, Matt, Matt's like, I'll go if we do it on motorcycles and we make a film. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that, that, that works pretty well. So then it, uh, so that was 2009, it all came together, right? Maybe 2008, I started talking about it. And, yeah. Uh, and I, sure, I, I sure. left LA to do it. I'm sure as you guys have talked to people over the years, I don't know how many people I've talked to that said, I bought my first adventure motorcycle or I went on my first trip because of long way around that, mm -hmm. that film for whatever reason sparked uh, a fire in a lot of people to say, man, what am I doing in this nine to five job? And you know, maybe I should take a week or two weeks or a month and, and go ride a motorcycle somewhere. Well, I'd say kind of like our film, you watch those two and you think if they can do it, Maybe I could do it too. That's right. Yeah, I think I think maybe that's maybe that's what that film really goes back to is that you you see yourself not not so much in the movie star aspect of it, but you know they're really not that experienced and they don't really know what they're doing. And I think I, I had done done some research on on that film when it came out, and and you know even KTM, which they originally wanted to go with, said uh, we're not sure we want to be a part of this project, which is how they ended up on on BMWs. And I'm, I'm sure BMW is thankful for that because it kind of set a whole category uh, off for them. Um, but, but like them, you guys uh, were not that, that experienced uh, as far as uh, either traveling internationally, right. Or, or riding motorcycles. Yeah. I, I'd worked a little bit internationally, but okay. it was like in a controlled group, usually like mm -hmm. for, you know, different uh, TV shows, like you go travel, but like you're, you know, you have like a, a group, you know, right. same way with family and stuff. You're like in a that. hotel, you got a van picking you up. Right. Set. Yeah. Very controlled environment. Exactly. And Tiernan, had you ridden before or, or uh, Matt, had either of you ridden motorcycles before? I, th I think I bought my motorcycle in uh, 2008 when I started having the uh, early life crisis there and uh, was just riding it around LA with my permit. And um, Matt got his bike on eBay, got the same bike as I did just to kind of make it easier on, the learning curve for us both, you know. Yeah. So uh, he got his on eBay and rode it. Maybe I don't know how many hours you think he rode that before our first day of the trip. I had maybe three to four hundred miles in on a bike. Really? Yeah, I'd gone to generous. motorcycles motorcycle safety school, and that was all on pavement, right? Uh, well, we shot like yeah. a promo video where I crashed a couple times on dirt. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and where'd you guys go with Suzuki's, right? Mm-hmm. DSD four hundred Supermoto. Yeah. Now, why why that bike? I don't know. I mean, I think it's because there was a Suzuki dealership in Hollywood, and I just kind of walked in and wandered and said, "Oh, maybe I could afford that one." And, uh, <laughs> went from okay. there. Gotcha. So you guys get the same bike, and then you kind of you kind of rally them out a little bit, right? I mean, you spend uh, a, a few weeks uh, altering these things to get them 
get them built for for long road travel, right? Yeah, that that was certainly a comedy of errors. We have a lot of uh, footage of us just learning really, really basic things. Um, mm-hmm. But we we got hooked up with some aftermarket parts. Uh, Forest at Wheeling Cycle Supply. I don't even know if he's still in business, but uh, he hooked us up with a lot of parts um, that were really cool, like you know hand guards and skid plates and things, just to kind of make the bikes, you know, a little more indestructible and make mm-hmm. us feel a little bit safer at the same time. Some of it, uh, but that that was fun. You know, the biggest challenge we had was learning how to break the bead without a tire shop, because uh, anybody that's ridden has done it with Supermoto knows it's probably the hardest bead to break because you have the tube inside as well as the radial bead. Yep. And uh, that was a struggle. We used a kickstand. We did finally, but you know, yeah. one of us couldn't do it. We needed both of our body weights to be able to do it with the kickstand. Sure. Yeah. And, and on like a, you know, like a curb or something where you can yeah, get a little bit leverage. Yeah. But yeah. we had a, that was a breakthrough moment. You remember that moment mm-hmm. when we finally, because we spent, you know, we spent hours researching it. We we just couldn't do it. And finally the kickstand thing was like, all right, let's try this. And and we were stoked, you know, when we could find the, the sound and the feeling of that bead breaking, we were like <laughs> cloud nine. Yeah. yeah. We, we would have been screwed otherwise. Like there's no way, you know, we would have got out there. And a couple of times when we had like, when we had flats, like we were in places where, we were not going to get hooked up with yeah. a way to yeah. it. Although you'd be surprised how many places you can get uh, tire service in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night in Latin America. Is that right? Yeah. They, they, what's it called? The the Volcanesador or something like that? Uh, well, that, that group in La Paz. That, oh, the La Paz. I mean, like 2 a.m. We It was actually not our it – was, it was this girl's car that the tire got fixed. But it was like 2 a.m. Yeah. On, on a Wednesday or something. <laughs> Now, when you guys when you guys put this together, Matt, you kind of said, "Look, I'm in on this thing. If we can do it on motorcycles, and it if we can film it." At that point, you guys have both graduated from film school, right? So, I mean, this is right in your wheelhouse. Were you guys looking to make a film, or were you looking for an adventure that you were going to document, and then you said, "Let's just see what happens afterwards"? I mean, did you set out with the with the intent of, "Hey, let's make a really good documentary"? Well, I mean, a little bit, like, uh, it's kind of a bit of both. Like, we wanted to do an adventure, but also, like, both of us wanted to make a movie, but we didn't have, uh, you know, a subject matter we were passionate about, aside from something that we could go on a trip so we could blend the two, and you star in the, the thing that you're making. And if worse comes to worse, at least you have a good uh, trip. Yeah, it's a commitment, though, because I know when we go on our trips, we always set out day one and say, look, this year we're really going to document this thing. And then you get five hours into it and you're like, wait guys, we got to set the shot up where, you know, I ride up ahead and set it up and then you guys come through. Mm -hmm. Right. And and there's a lot more to it when you're filming it, right. To make sure you get the right shot rather than just kind of riding and hoping it all, it all works out. And so I would say by day three, everybody's sick of me taking direction from me. And they're like, forget it. Look, if you get a shot, great. If not, we're going to keep going. You know, we, we had those moments. And, and Matt and I, I always think, made a really good team because we think very differently, have different approaches. Where, like, in general, I would say, and Matt, tell me if you agree, like, I kind of prioritize the trip and you prioritize the film. You know, not, not 100% either way, but balance-wise. Um, so there were a lot of times where I'd say, oh, let's go do this really cool thing. And Matt would say, well, let's do it, but let's film it. You know, and he'd stop us and say, hold on. And, you know, for instance, uh, 
like we there were days we're like running out of water and i'm like we got to rush there's a storm approaching and he's like yes but we need to get the sound bite first we need to mm-hmm. we need to actually otherwise what's the point you know <laughs> right uh, but then we we learned by the end like well i would say like probably the breakthrough was you know uh maybe guatemala or something where we figured out how to like this is even though we're both going to be in it like this is a tiernan story or this is a matt story and then we could just follow the action and follow the story we, we kind of figured it out and once we got out of mexico i think we figured out our our timing and how kind to of the cadence of it tell tell yeah. better stories in a way but yeah. it was always a challenge because because uh the parts that were the most probably exciting to film were also the last moments we'd want to pick up the camera and use it because mm-hmm. it was the most stressful, you know, whether it be the, the weather, the, the bikes having problems or being lost or whatever. Yeah. It, it, we have a buddy and when anybody wrecks, right, he is the first one there with the camera on. Right. You gotta and, have that guy. And he's the last guy you want to see at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. But then a month later, you, you're like, hey, bring up that when, you know, so-and-so wrecked and what they were doing while they were, you know, wiggling around on the on the ground. So as you guys are, are, are planning this, was it really as off the cuff as it seems in the movie? I mean, did you get to L.A. before you realized you needed visas for Brazil? Yeah, that's that's one thing I'm really <laughs> proud of this film. And it's it's one thing that like a lot of people might not even believe is that it's 100 percent accurate. <laughs> you know, I mean, there there were things we left out, but we didn't lie about anything. We didn't make anything right. up to, in order to make it more fun, which we probably could have and made it you know potentially a more entertaining movie. But it's all true. I mean, we were we are just as uh, clueless as we seem in the film, and we didn't exaggerate any of that. Well, that's that's why I think the film resonated with me. Um, and again, I, I watched it twice over a, a period of time, but you know, the, the, you can, guys make adventure motorcycle movies all the time and about 20 minutes into it, I'm bored to tears. I mean, you can only watch so much of somebody going up from a, a helmet cam on a, a steep ascent with, with beautiful mountains. Right. And, and it gets old. And what I, what really caught me about your story was, yes, it was about riding, but it was more about the adventure of getting lost in the city and ending up at, you know, two different hostels or, you know, New Year's Eve uh, and, and finding a whole new group of friends while you're, while your best friend is riding around aimlessly. Right. I mean, all of that stuff is what makes, you know, for, for a really good film and what makes it, makes it interesting. Uh, and then I think also the fact that it just, I think in today's society, everybody is so, consumed by the 24 hour news cycle and consumed by, by bad, bad news. And I, you know, when I travel to Latin America, everybody says, man, do you even leave the hotel in the evening? And, right. you know, and, and you guys really took, um, took that and put it on its head. I mean, you, you get adopted by a Brazilian family, you are meeting girls left and right. I, I know this is, this is 10 years ago, but I mean, you guys are, uh, you guys are having uh, the time of your life on this trip. Yeah, I'd say the we had we had a breakthrough moment at the Mexico to Guatemala border, and uh, anybody that's done it will tell you it's pretty tough getting through the borders, especially when you're it's a steep learning curve getting through there. But um, at some point, and, and we sh- we tried to tell that story in the film. Uh, at some point, we just kind of said, you know what, 
we, we can't try to fight this and control everything. We have to kind of just let these guys help us out and, and handle, we literally handed our passports to them and we were nervous about it all. But like at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of what made it work is having faith in uh, our fellow humans across the globe, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've had that more of that perspective when I was preparing for the trip being like, Oh, well, you know, Latin America is really dangerous. And, you know, just having that perspective, but then going and seeing it and just being like, you know what, everyone has just been very cool. And if you're going into an area and you're, you're being cool with them, then you're, nothing's going to, I didn't see any moment where we were in danger because we weren't bringing anything personally that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and this is coming from a guy who woke up in the favelas in Brazil by himself, <laughs> well, with a friend that he met the night before. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and everyone was cool. Yeah. No problems. Yeah. Now, you guys, uh, both of you speak pretty good Spanish. Uh, Tierna speaks pretty good Spanish. And I, I, I spoke some but learned more. It was actually like a process. Like we tried to show that in the film, but by the end, I was pretty good about, you know, being able to communicate and get an idea across and also hear, you know, what was being said to me. Your, con- your confidence got there by the end. Yeah. With the language and to the last point too, your confidence just, um, you know, getting around. I remember, you remember Matt, after maybe a year or two later, you were telling me, God, you know, now don't you, when you face a challenge and you think back to everything we got through on our trip, mm-hmm. don't these minor challenges today just seem kind of insignificant? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, that, that was, I, if there was one thing that I learned the most, it was that you just have to focus on the challenge and you just can't get mad about it. You just have to like, all right, well, this is what happened. This broke, you know, how, how are you going to keep moving forward? And that's kind of what the trip was all about. It was just constantly moving forward. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when we ride or, or when I talk to other people who ride, it's it's so different if you're working a nine to five job every single day and you're prioritizing this over that and how do I rearrange and, and push this out and bring this in versus being on a motorcycle and you break down, you have to do step A right there. You have to get that bike fixed before anything, before you're moving forward, right? You got to tackle that problem in front of you at right. that moment. Yeah, you can't think it over a beer. That's or- right. <laughs> or you have to push it to the other side of the border and then you fix it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, that was in Panama, right? Yeah. 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 Did you guys know about the Darien Gap, by the way? I mean, was that on yeah. your radar before you left? We'd, we'd read about it. Okay. So, so we knew that we couldn't ride straight. Well, we were kind of hoping, oh, maybe when we get there, we'll find out there's a, a new road or something. But uh, we were aware of it. And what was it planned originally? Because it wasn't to ship it down to, to Chile, right? Well, the the plan was we'd show up and figure it out when we got there. I think <laughs> was that was that was a lot. That was the basic plan for most of the trip: is show up and figure it out when you get there. And speaking of plans, I mean, we I was telling someone this recently. All the plans that we had, and we spent a lot of time planning, which was actually one of the best parts of the trip. Is like the month before we left, you know, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and looking at maps. And stuff. Right. All that shit went out the window when we realized how long we had to spend with our butts on the seats every day in order to maintain some kind of schedule. Yeah. Biting off the mileage. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, which road do we want to take? Usually the shortest. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you guys do the film, you get to carnival. It looked like you had, you had a blast down there. And then 
you returned to the States uh, and you didn't ride back, right? I think, Tierney, you gave your bike away at the end. Or oh, Matt, I Matt, okay, Matt, you gave your bike away. Talk, talk a little bit about that. I mean, there was a guy, I guess, from Brazil, from Rio, who had been following you guys on the trip and, and hosted you. Yeah, it was a, uh, I mean, Carnival was very hard to find, like hostel or a couch surfing host. Sure. We've been like searching for that for a while. And uh, Diogo luckily hooked us up and he'd been following the trip and everything. And it was, it was a point at which to ship it back would, would cost a lot. And I wasn't sure how much I would be enjoying that process compared to how much he could enjoy the motorcycle. And if, if I was, you know, it's better than selling it because Sure. You know, yeah, I just it just felt like the right thing to do at the right time. So he followed he followed your trip. You got down there. Uh, you kind of complete the journey and then hand it over to the next guy to to pick mm-hmm. his journey up. Yeah. And have you kept in touch with him? Yeah, he's on uh, on Facebook. Yeah. He he has not held up his end of the bargain. <laughs> he hasn't. Oh no. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's very few people who are actually going to do something. You know. Yeah. yeah. Actually, actually, take it and, and go and go do do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got kids now. He's not going. He's yeah, he does have kids. He used it to pick up a bunch of girls. Turner was with him because yeah, yeah, you, you had like the second trip that you know, or the the part two of the movie of you trying to get out of there. Yeah, that didn't make the film. But so when Matt left, I was stuck there for about two weeks afterwards, and it's staying with Diogo. This is Carnival was like ending, so like the entire city of Rio is basically hung over for like a week. You know, it, it takes them a while to come back to normal. Yeah, but uh, Diogo would take me around, and we'd go to these parties in like the favelas. Like, I mean, I literally saw someone shoot a gun like twenty feet away from me. You know, just shoot up in the air, but still, it was a little unnerving. But Diogo was so proud of this bike, and Matt's bike had the aftermarket tailpipe that was super loud. So he would just sit out at these parties and like rev the motorcycle like a badass, you know what I mean? And and I would right. sit there and kind of, kind of be embarrassed, but ah, whatever, you know. And uh, I that that went on for like a couple of weeks before I kind of escaped and, and decided that I was I needed to find an airport and get out of there and get home, you know. Yeah. It was uh, and and that was it was a tough process because like I said, the uh, carnival had just ended and and like you go to the it's it's a lot more um, laid back than it is in our country in most countries for that matter where you, you go and you think you can talk to somebody because their business is open and there's like nobody there, you know, and nobody wants to help you out. Nobody wants to speak English. And then they want to charge you like $10,000 to ship your bike because they see that you're American. So it was a struggle yeah. getting out of there. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I do a lot of, uh, not a lot. I do a fair amount of business in, in Brazil and always around carnival, you know, somebody's like, well, you know, we, we just need to get it done the next two weeks. And I'm always like, it's not going to happen, man. The whole country's on shutdown, and and especially around Rio, uh, you know, things things just come to a standstill. Yeah, I um, considered so uh, going back to Sao Paulo just because I'm like, I just got a feeling it would work better there. You know, Rio is a whole different world. Yeah, yeah. So, so once you come back from this trip, what do you do? How do you re-enter? Because it was what two and a half months mm-hmm. uh, that that you took out uh, and, and rode you know, 10,000 miles on motorcycles, you now enter back to the U S uh, back to uh, you know, kind of the daily, daily grind or, or did you, did you, did you take time and, and how did, I guess the, the, the trip affect 
your outlook as you as you re entered uh, normal life? Uh, it pretty much just went back. I mean, we're, we're freelance, uh, so just you know, you're you're always kind of out of a job until you have work, right? And then just went back. But I guess as far as how it was affected, it, it helped in the sense of problem solving. I mean, pretty much what I do on a daily basis is like you just solve little little problems. If something goes wrong, you just have to chase it down. And I think that the trip helped that process. You know, and keeping a positive outlook on on problem solving. Mm -hmm. And as far as the as far as the the movie itself, I mean, you came back. Now you got all this this footage, and you said, "Gosh, we got to go edit this stuff and put it into post production um, and get this thing out." What was the process of, of that like, Matt? Oh, well, luckily we had a uh, this uh, production company, Ugood in Vegas that were friends of ours and they helped us produce the, uh, our trailer or sizzle reel to get sponsorship. And then they hopped on as EPs and let us use their studio to edit and, uh, you know, just process all the footage. Like we were talking about using another editor, but like both of us can, can edit and we knew the footage and it'd just be so hard to explain. Yeah, the ins and outs of the story to someone else. So, how long did that process take once you once you got back to to edit it to get to a point where you had something that you you could go shop or distribute? Oh man, Jaren, how long was that process? It's it's kind of hard to say because we would stop working on it at times. I think mm -hmm. take jobs and things. Start. I, I want to say it was probably about six months to where it was like under two hours, and we could we could start showing people. Um, but I mean, it, it took a very long time. I mean, it's, it's kind of like our trip. It, we found, you know, nothing just kind of works out the way you expect it to. You think like, Oh, I just bought this hard drive. I'm going to plug it in and transfer files. And then, Oh no, it's, it's, I got to format it and that, you know, and, the, and then, Oh yeah, it crashed and I have to buy a whole new hard drive and I just lost 80 hours of work. Okay. You know, it, it's, it's not as easy as we expected. I'll say that it certainly took a lot more time than we thought it would. We almost had we almost had enough storylines to turn it into like a mini series. It would have been yeah. better series, I think. Yeah, it was more like a long way around. But yeah, one I guess one of the tougher things that we did is that we didn't want to do any sit down, or we had a big discussions about it. Like we had done sit down interviews, but we felt that the on the fly, the OTF style of this is what's happening at this moment. If we could just keep that pace, it would feel more alive versus cutting to, you know, a, a sitting down somewhere. Post-production, yeah, or yeah. post-ride interview where you kind of walking through and explain it, yeah. And, and it also, you know, one of the things we're proud of is that the whole film is real. And uh, if we had done it that way, it'd be a little bit more contrived where we'd say, okay, we want to tell this story even though the footage doesn't support it. So let's get the sound bites and make, you know, we'll, we'll sit you down and have you say it, which – is how all reality or non-scripted content is produced these days. It's like a, a filmmaker will have an objective. They'll say, this is what I want to say. And they'll figure out how to say it versus we took the, I don't know, the, the, the true documentary approach, I guess you could say, where we just filmed what we saw and then put, put the story together afterwards and didn't doctor anything. So that was, that was part of the reason that uh, we didn't do interviews also just to keep it real. Yeah. And the, and the film did well, right? I mean, you guys uh, got some awards for it, right? Yeah, we won uh, 
won two film festivals. Uh, three. Three? Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe, yeah, like Skagway. Oh, Port- right. Portland. Portland. Portland Den- Denver, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about what you guys are doing now. Ten years post uh, 10,000 miles to Rio. Are you... Uh, still riding motorcycles or does a trip like that you look at a motorcycle you're like i never want to see the the saddle again well i i after giving my bike to diogo i, I didn't ride uh i didn't ride again except for like popping on tiernan's like once or twice i i came back i flew mine back because i sold everything i owned basically to do this trip and came back and it was my only vehicle so i held on to it for a while um but I, I sold that and I, I got an R6 afterwards for a while, which was yeah. really fun. Um, but uh, riding in the city, I wrecked it. Somebody pulled out in front of me, you know, that kind of deal. A man in and, a kilt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got, he was wearing a kilt. Is that right? And, yeah. Um, but uh, that totaled the bike. So, you know, after that, I, I was just kind of like, you know, I, I probably don't need to have a bike in Las Vegas. It's really not a great city to have a motorcycle, right. to be honest. Yeah. So, so that was, that was it for my career. Now I'm married and my wife wouldn't allow me to have one if I wanted one. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. She's, she's, she's told me explicitly I'm forbidden to get a motorcycle. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, I don't know if it's more for the safety thing or she doesn't want me riding to Brazil again. I don't know. But okay. (laughs) Yeah. I know my, you know, my own story. Um, uh, I came to this uh, like you guys. I mean, we watched long way around and uh, a buddy of mine, we were having beers and said, you know what? I mean, we're in our thirties and if we don't start doing some stuff now, we're going to look back on this and be like, you know, why didn't we? So he, uh, you know, and, and after, I don't know, four or five beers, it seemed like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I woke up the next day and, and kind of laughed it off. And I think two weeks later he pulled around on a KLR six fifty and said, okay, I got mine. And at that point I told my wife, I said like, look, I made the promise. I got to get one. And fortunately, my my in-laws ride. So she kind of grew up with her parents uh, riding motorcycles. And uh, and so she, you know, let, let me have it. And despite having, you know, three kids, lets me go uh, out on these uh, epic adventures. But I tell you what, I, you know, we've had we've had some injuries along the way. And we've we've totaled I totaled uh, a, a BMW GS 1200 on the trail. Um and, you know, in in the worst way where you say, look, you you always have somebody that you're riding with. And and it was the last day of the trip. And I said, guys, go on ahead. I'm just going to help these folks here who had a broken down ATV. And then I was catching up, going too fast on dirt and and wrecked and totaled the bike and, and separated my shoulder. Oh, and no. and Matt, Matt, back to your point about, you know, having to tackle the problem right there. I remember standing up and feeling really lightheaded and going to unbuckle my helmet and going, Oh my gosh, I can't move that arm. And then going, okay. And looking at the bike and seeing it was totaled and looking and there's nobody around. And I'm like, okay, problem one, you know, Mm -hmm. step one, what am I going to do right now to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it starts to get real basic at that point when, when things go wrong uh, in order of, of steps to tackle. So, well, what do you guys, uh, uh, Matt, you are, you're still single Tiernan, you're, you're married. No, I'm, I'm, we're both married. Oh, you're both married now. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you guys have a pretty good time on that, on that trip. How are your wives? Okay. Going back and watching it and, and seeing your former selves. My wife's fine with it. She's cool. 
Yeah, yeah, my wife's cool with it now. I think uh, when we first got together, she was a little taken aback because you know, as the the film's real, everything's true. You know, right. but we definitely wanted to because because Matt and I are both like fairly similar if you were to describe us. So we wanted to kind of immediately separate our characters. So the way the film opens with me talking about girls makes me, you know, makes me seem like the guy out out to get the girls. Yep. Which isn't untrue. It's just <laughs> <laughs> maybe highlighted more, right? Yeah. Yeah. Highlighted, yeah. 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 Uh, you know what I'll say though is um I'm really glad we did it at such a young age because you know to your point when you when you start doing it at some point you know, it might seem like a bigger hurdle to overcome. And, and then you have a wife, kids, whatever. It's harder and harder to, to get out there. And when we did it, you know, most of the online community that we found, which was we used Adventure Rider, ADV Rider was our main yeah. Yeah. source of info. Uh, there were very few people that were our age that were actually doing it. It seemed like most of the guys had been doing it. They were in their like 40s, 50s, which on one hand, they have more money so they can buy the BMW and things mm-hmm. like that. But on the other hand, we had freedom of uh not caring about a whole lot you know and just being able to fly by the seat of our pants and do the trip you know yeah in, you know, in a hurry. it's funny Tiernan, when you just said that it made me think of of two episodes that we had you know our first episode we had a guy by the name of bud carmen on who rides with us and and bud was a a motocross rider uh just kind of under the pro level. Right. But, but had ridden Baja, you know, had raced Baja and actually finished in, in their category uh, fairly high up. And I asked him, I said, look, is adventure riding an old guy thing? And he said, it only is because you're buying $30,000 bikes and outfitting them. And then, you know, having the luxury of taking two to three weeks off uh, to go fund your, your adventure. And so, you know, you see the progression from guys who, who start out racing, you know, pretty basic analog bikes uh, to when they get into their 40s and 50s, start getting these BMWs and KTMs that are, uh, you know, totally with electronic suspension and and off-road ABS and, you know, everything that uh, that you could want on a bike. Uh, but then also we had, we had a guy by the name of Big Dog on and Big Dog's in his late 60s um, and, and still rides every single day. And, you know, he said his, his, his bikes have gotten smaller. He's all the way down to a, a 250 now. Um, but his adventures, he said, you know, I still go out and sleep on the ground, uh, you know, two weeks at a time and, and go, go ride. And so uh, it was interesting to hear that, that, that neither of you guys are riding uh, because I think it is something uh, for a lot of guys, especially when you take a, a, a big trip like that, that kind of gets into your blood and you go, you know what, next year, let's do this trip or let, let, let's go do that. And so, you know, it's interesting that you guys use that as a, as a segment in your life and, um, and then, you know, kind of moved on to other things. Matt, do you think you have any other uh, motorcycle trips in you? Uh, probably not motorcycle. I mean, we, we'd kicked around the idea of doing a uh, sailing around the world. As soon as we got back, that was like, all right, so when are we doing sail report? Like, when are we right. gonna, you know, circumnavigate the globe? Um, so there's, you know, other things that we're, I think we've both been on quite a few trips since then, but you know, it's hard to top adventure riding and for sure. You know. What what kind of adventure travel have you done or what other trips have you done uh since oh. so my wife's uh my wife's Mongolian. Okay. And so we spent, you know, a few weeks traveling in Mongolia and got married there, and that's you know, that's been pretty epic and uh you've been 
Japan, and I was working on a show where we were traveling all around Southeast Asia. Um, so I went to Palau, Micronesia, that area. So Tiernan, you, you uh, had a little technical problem. You, you, you dropped your back. We were just talking about, um, you know, trips and, and it, not so much on, on the back of a motorcycle, but adventure travel in general and, and what trips you've taken since uh, you guys made the documentary and, and what, if anything, when you, you know, through the experiences you learned, you took on, on your subsequent trips. You know, I, uh, I did a trip to India since this trip and rented a motorcycle there and cruised around uh, southern India for like a week. And uh, it's definitely good that I had the experience first in, in Latin America, just, you know, crowded places, people that don't obey the traffic laws, things like that. But then India was tough because it was the other side of the road. So that was like a whole different experience. And in India, they don't um, they don't really do things visually. They're more listening. So that that's where you know, people honk to let you know that they're right in your blind spot, you know, and it's, it's a whole different language there kind of when you're on the road. But Matt Kendall, uh, Tiernan Turner, thank you guys for coming on the adventure motorcycle USA podcast. It was a blast to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good talking with you.